1050, the progressive voice of Minnesota, FYI politics with Brett Johnson. See if this is how the microphone works here. Sasha, I have not hosted a live show in like two weeks, so got to make sure I remember everything. I don't think I've seen you in about two weeks either, so good to be back here in studio. It's been a while. It's good to be back. It's good to have the live board in front of me, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Holidays always uh, make a little bit of an adjustment in for me. Yeah, I had taken a few days off, but good to be back on the airwaves, which means we do have open phone lines for most of the hour at 952-946-6205. Get to your phone calls probably towards the second half of the show, because right now we're joined by Patrick Kulikin. He is the editor-in-chief of the Minnesota Reformer. Great resource to find out what's going on in the Minnesota political scene. Patrick, good to have you back on the airwaves with us. Great to be here. All right. Well, a number of stories to talk about today, and let's start things off with a member of the state Senate and also former Secretary of State. That would be Republican Mary Kiffmeyer, who apparently has found herself another hobby besides engaging with white supremacists on Facebook. Well, her new hobby is pretty much, well, criticizing everything that the current Secretary of State Steve Simon does, including a letter she recently wrote to Steve Simon, which, as you put it, questioned election fraud and essentially asked, uh, you kind of made the analogy, when you fake the moon landing, how did you do it? And that pretty much summed up the letter where it was accusing uh, Minnesota of having all sorts of voter fraud, even though that didn't happen whatsoever. So, uh, yeah, this was a pretty off-the-wall letter that uh, Kiffmeyer sent to Steve Simon, correct? Yeah, it's interesting how uh, local and state politicians take their cues uh, from the national types, and uh, so uh, she says in the letter that she's been hearing from concerned constituents, and, and I think this is <laughs> this is simply uh, folks who hear the president, right? And they say, well, this must be going on, and they contact uh, Kiff Meyer. In her case, uh, she didn't; she doesn't need much uh, influence uh, because she's long had these uh, crazy uh, ideas that there's some massive voter fraud. Um, and, uh, she's tried to pursue various, uh, measures to, to, uh, stop this non-existent voter fraud, including voter ID, um, and, and including, uh, trying to, to pass voter ID after the, the voters of Minnesota rejected it, uh, in 2012 when it was on the ballot. Although, um, I don't know, maybe there was fraud and that's why this voter ID law, <laughs> Ah, uh, see, tying uh, so it all together with Kiffmeyer. <laughs> yeah, and this is a hobby horse of hers. And uh, so she writes this letter uh, to Steve Simon, questioning, of course, the hot button word now is Dominium, the the uh, the, the soft the election software company, uh, which you know there's these wild theories about how it's tied to Hugo Chavez, and it's just. It's also ridiculous and complicated. He can barely follow it, but she has all these questions for Steve Simon. And, you know, he, he writes back uh, really in the most patient, uh, Minnesota nice way. <laughs> but it's quite devastating, his reply. Yeah, I got to give Secretary of State Steve Simon uh, more credit than I would have had trying to respond to that letter. I probably would have just sent a couple sentences saying, this is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. But as you said, I mean, he did go through basically point by point and take down all of the arguments that she made. So I guess, as you said, it's very Minnesota thing of him to actually go through and respond to all of these quite ridiculous arguments from, from Mary Kiffmeyer. Right. He says, he does say in there that uh, he's, he's happy to do so because he wants to, to take on all the rampant misinformation and disinformation uh, that is in the air regarding uh, the, the vote tally. Um, so it uh, was at least implicitly he's telling her what he thinks of of what what she's putting out into the the public domain. Um, you know, and we can laugh about it, but it's it's dangerous stuff when uh, one when you have a, a huge group of people who think that the election's been stolen from them because at a certain point they will. Um, I mean, what do you do with, if you think an election has been rigged against you? Uh, you know, in other countries, they take up arms. And um, the people we're talking about here are, are often heavily armed. 
Mm-hmm. And the most annoying part in this, in this letter that Mary Kiffmeyer wrote, you brought up how she's citing all of these constituents who have been contacting her saying that they experienced voter fraud or know someone. And largely, there's no evidence to back this up whatsoever. It's the case where she probably is hearing from constituents, but it's it's the thing where they're saying, well, my boss's son's friend's cousin heard that someone voted twice in the city of Minneapolis. There's no actual substantial proof on this. And as you said, yeah, it's, it's ridiculous on its face, but it is very serious when you have, I think the latest poll I saw was what only only 15% of Republicans think the election was determined legitimately for Joe Biden. That's dangerous stuff, even though, as you said, it's it's easy to dismiss this as just being pretty ridiculous on its face. Yeah, it is dangerous. Um, and it's, uh, I have to say, I never thought I would say thanks to Bill Barr, but at least he came out yesterday, the Attorney General of the United States, and said there's just no evidence of any kind of widespread fraud that would have any impact on the on the election results. Um, so we're going to need more voices like that from the Republican Party. And the thing is, you know, a lot of elected officials, Republican operatives, they know what the truth is, mm-hmm. um, but they're afraid of exactly. that Trump base. Exactly, and that hits the nail on the head. I, I can't get inside the head of Mary Kiffmeyer, but I'm guessing there's at least part of her that knows that, well, Donald Trump lost the election. In fact, several Republicans, I would expect most of them that are in elected offices, probably know that. But at least we do have a few, and as you brought up, Bill Barr, surprisingly among them, that are saying there was no fraud in that last election. And I don't know, I'm kind of surprised by that. I thought for the most part with such a grip that Donald Trump had over the Republican Party that most of the Republican politicians would just end up going along with his claims of voter fraud. But there at least has been a substantial amount of Republicans that have kind of shot down this argument, including Bill Barr. And I'm trying to think who the guy, I think it was Garofalo in the Minnesota legislature that was saying, ah, there was no fraud. So I don't know what your feelings are. I was surprised by the number of Republicans that are at least trying to counter some of these attacks we're having on election election integrity. There are a few of them, but on the other hand, that just shows you how low the bar is. Yeah. Um, when we're pleased that a few people come out and, and say that this loony, dangerous theory um, that really threatens the, the bedrock of uh, American democracy, the peaceful transition to power, you know, when we're, we're pleased that a few people are, are willing to come out and challenge the president on this one, it ought to be all of them. Saying, you know, this is uh, uh, this is dangerous and an insult uh, to our great legacy. Um, so that's that's how far we've come, unfortunately, in a very short amount of time. Switching gears now, as we're speaking with Patrick Kulikan of the Minnesota Reformer. So some big news at the state legislature and our budget is that we've gone from a projected two billion dollar deficit to all of a sudden now having a $600 million surplus. That's definitely quite the turn of events for our budget forecast. So, Patrick, as best as you can tell, why did this happen? How did we go from this big deficit to now all of a sudden having a surplus? Well, I think there's a, there's a couple factors. Uh, one is that Minnesota just has a strong, diverse, textured economy. Um, and we don't rely on a lot of the, uh, the types of economic activity. This part of it is just luck. We don't rely on economic activity that was hurt the worst in, in the, uh, in this pandemic. So tourism, especially, you know, states like Florida and Nevada have been hit hard, um, with, with so fewer, uh, visitors. So strong economy. Some of our companies, if you think about it, 3M, Target, they've not really been hurt at all. I mean, if anything, they're doing better, um, in, during the pandemic. Uh, so, strong economy. Uh, and then the CARES Act, the Federal CARES Act, you know, when you dump $2 trillion into the economy, um, you know, people are going to be able to spend, especially people at the lower uh, half of the income ladder. If you give them money, they're going to spend it because they have to. Um, and so that helped people um, keep, uh, you know, pay their rent. So that prevented a foreclosure and a, and a, a uh, eviction um, problem, and it allowed them to keep putting food on the table uh, and paying their bills, and that's helped prop up the economy. Um, and so really it was, and, and especially in the tax, uh, sales tax receipts, so that's really helped the state budget. Um, 
and uh, and so we're in a much better situation than than we thought we were. I mean, also some of it's just forecasting. Right? I think they were looking at the job losses uh, when they did that last forecast over the uh, in the early summer, and you know they're just expecting the worst out of that. But uh, it's just tough to forecast. Um, so we're in a much better position, in part because of our. Uh, uh, our strong Minnesota economy, in part because of the federal government's actions, and, and hopefully they'll do another round of stimulus. And now Minnesota uh, state government has this money, which uh, we can use to try to help out um, businesses and, and people who have been affected by this latest uh, spike in COVID cases. Yeah, how do you think that's going to impact things at the state legislature as it looks like we're possibly going to get a COVID relief bill in the next few weeks from our Minnesota House and Minnesota Senate? Do you think this new forecast could impact things and maybe make the bill a little bit bigger or talk about that aspect a little bit? Yeah, there's $600 million uh, that they now can uh, shovel out the door um, and, uh, you know, it's it's not that hard uh, to get politicians to, I mean, they're going to fight over who's going to get how much, but um, it's pretty easy when, when there's a little extra money. Um, the real real change will be next year when we were looking at a huge deficit for the, next year's a budget year, so they'll come in, in the odd years they come in and they, they set a two-year budget. It's going to be about $50 billion, and they were looking at uh, close to, uh, I think, a $4.7 billion uh, deficit, all other things being equal. And now that's been cut sharply. Uh, so next year had promised to be extremely uh, difficult, um, Some kind, especially with divided government. You're going to have to come up with some kind of a compromise that involves tax increases and spending cuts. Uh, next year, the, I think they're now projecting something like $1.3 billion, uh, deficit going into the, that two-year budget cycle. That's a much easier problem to solve. Um, you, you can even kind of, I mean, you could do some kind of smoke and mirror stuff. Uh, it won't be easy, uh, but uh, you, can, you can do that without making really painful cuts or tax increases. Well, right now, at least until the new members of the legislature are sworn in, we currently, of course, have Governor Tim Walls, who is the DFLer, and also a substantial margin of a majority for the DFL in the state house. But Republicans still control the state Senate, and they'll continue to control that, obviously, in January. Uh, do we have any indications in terms of what Paul Gazelka is thinking he'd like to do with this $600 million or other Republicans since they have to be part of the conversation, being that they are the majority in the state Senate currently? Right. We haven't heard much from the, the Senate uh, because, of course, they had a COVID outbreak in the Senate, um, which was the big story a couple weeks ago. Um, I think we were talking about that. Um, and then Senator Gazelka apparently had a death in the family. So uh, a little bit of quiet out of that side. Um, so as for now, it seems like the House Republicans are acting as a kind of a proxy. And you know, I think what they want to do is get, uh, get cash out to businesses affected by the shutdown, which uh, you know, seems like a reasonable approach that if these businesses have been shut down uh, by a mandatory order of the governor, that um, it would be good if we can get them put cash on their hands so they can pay rent and maybe even payroll. We're speaking with Patrick Kulikan. He is the editor-in-chief of the Minnesota Reformer. Find a lot of their great reporting over at minnesotareformer.com. Well, and what's been a theme since the end of the election for Democrats has been disputes from people who are part of the more established part of the party versus the more progressive section of it. And we saw this play out as Ilhan Omar, current representative in Minneapolis, responded to something that former President Barack Obama said a few days ago, where uh, the quote from Obama in regards to defund the police is that he said, you lost a big audience the minute you say it, which makes it a lot less likely that you're actually going to get the changes you want done. Now, Ilhan Omar responded to this by saying, we lose people in the hands of police. It's not a slogan, but a policy demand. And centering the demand for equitable investments and budgets for communities across the country gets us progress and safety. So, 
we've seen some of these rifts most certainly play out since uh, the November 3rd election. And again, we're seeing this right here with Ilhan Omar, Democratic representative, really not agreeing with the assessment of the last Democratic president we had in Barack Obama. And it's another debate we're having about defund the police where we have a lot of the more moderate Democrats saying, well, this is why we didn't do well down ballot. And you have more progressive Democrats saying the exact opposite. So what are you making of yet another dispute we're having from the more established Democrats and some from the more progressive wing? Uh, well, there's the you know the the Will Rogers joke. I don't belong to an organized political party. I'm a Democrat. <laughs> um, you know, it's a it's a big fractious coalition. Uh, I think that was proven uh, more true than ever with this Biden victory. Uh, if you think about how the, how diverse that coalition is, um, somebody like Ilhan Omar is you know, and then you've got moderate, basically Republicans in the suburbs of places like the Twin Cities or, or Milwaukee or Philadelphia, who helped carry him to victory. Um, you know, in this dispute, uh, you know, I, I, Barack Obama knows a lot about politics. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he, he won two presidential elections um, by really a significant margin in, in 2008 and a pretty solid margin. The, uh, the second was the second largest uh win of, of this century until Joe Biden, his vice president, uh, surpassed that now in this election. Um, so, uh, you know, when he says, when he when he gives you a political prognosis, I, I think it's worth listening. Um, and, you know, I've talked to, one of my reporters talked to a, a DFL operative. The operatives tend to be, you know, some are driven kind of by the game, they like to win, they're they're really pure professionals. Others are more ideological. I would say that this this operative is more ideological, a progressive ideological, who's in favor of the goal of really transforming police and, I mean, for that matter, defunding police. But really thinks that the the slogan or the motto or whatever you want to call it uh, is not helpful um, to Democrats uh, nationwide. Um, you know, I it's hard to make a determination uh, about. You know, what effect it had on the election um, based on the data we have at this point. Um, but uh, I think it's it worth at least some introspection on um, whether or not it was helpful or not. Um, so an interesting uh, conflict there between our congresswoman from Minneapolis and uh, the 44th president. And final thing to go through with you here, Patrick, that is one of the guest commentaries you had reported in today's Minnesota Reformer from Julie Knopp, who was talking about the rise in Minnesota's water contamination basically running parallel to the tripling population of its farmed animals since the 1990s. So she's trying to tie, well, the water contamination that we've been seeing an increase in that to, well, the number of farm animals that we've been seeing since the 1990s, most of these uh, factory farm animals. So it's an interesting correlation to make, and she makes some pretty strong arguments about why so many of our waterways in Minnesota fail to make to uh, meet the basic water quality standards. So, yeah, that, that I found that really informative. And, uh, yeah, you guys always do a nice job getting some really interesting people to uh, write in your guest commentary section. Yes, uh, this is her second contribution, um, and she, she makes the point, uh, I'm not an expert in... Uh, in agriculture or, or water quality myself, but she, she makes the point that the uh, rapid expansion of our animal population uh, in terms of that, that is the result of industrial agriculture has uh, uh, happened at the same time we've had a, a, a degradation of our water quality um, and uh, all those animals produce a lot of waste and um, yeah. and it's got to go somewhere. So, um uh, yeah, that's a, uh, and then there's the other aspect of, uh, of, of fertilizers. So, uh, yeah, an interesting argument, uh, and I, I think that uh, the bottom line is that uh, there are trade-offs to to everything that we that we do. I think that's just at least something worth considering. And you can find that guest commentary and lots of other great stories about Minnesota politics and reporting over at minnesotareformer.com. That's Minnesota former. 
MinnesotaReformer.com. Hey, that's Patrick Kulikan, who is the editor-in-chief of that very organization who joins us every Wednesday. Patrick, as always, enjoy chatting with you. Always a pleasure. Thanks. All right, we'll take a break and come on back with more on FYI Politics with Brett Johnson. Warner Stellion is serving up unbeatable, exclusive Black Friday savings on thousands of in-stock appliances. Receive free installation when you choose a KitchenAid, Frigidaire, or Beko dishwasher. Save hundreds on top-rated laundry pairs and complete kitchen packages. Then save more with safe, free delivery and haul-away from our trusted specialists. Open a Warner's card and we'll gift you a $100 bonus. Unbeatable Black Friday appliance savings are waiting at Minnesota's own appliance specialist, Warner Stellion. Aho, this is Robert Pilot, Wakun Jahade of Native Roots Radio presents I'm Awake. And I want to tell you about two Native shows on AM 950. Please listen to Rock the Vote Native Style on Tuesdays, 2 to 3 p.m. On Sundays, we have the Sunday Native Symposium, 6 to 8 p.m., commercial free. Guests from all over Turtle Island and local politicians. That's Rock the Vote Native Style, Tuesdays, 2 to 3 p.m. And the Native Symposium, Sundays, 6 to 8 p.m. Hi everyone, Matt McNeil here. Everyone at AM950 wants to say thank you to all those who became members through our AM950 membership program. One thing 2020 has taught us is small independent media is such an important element of our community. And as some independent media outlets have shuttered, you members have helped ensure AM950 will stay on the air into 2021. It's really simple to become a member of AM950. Go to our webpage, am950radio.com, click on the membership button and sign up. You can make a one-time donation or a recurring donation. And through the holidays, we have a great offer for new members. Become a new member with either a $25 one-time donation or a $10 recurring donation, and AM950 will read a special message from you on the air this holiday season. If you make a $50 one-time donation or a $25 recurring donation, you'll get a copy of the first ever AM950 calendar featuring photos I took on my hikes from this last year. Once again, head over to am950radio.com and sign up to become a new member today. And once again, thank you so very much for your support from everyone here at the Progressive Voice of Minnesota, AM950. Toyota-thon is on at Rudy Luther Toyota. Toyota-thon means big savings for you on all new Toyotas with big Rudy Luther Toyota discounts plus incentives from Toyota like up to $2,750 cash back on new Highlander hybrids or qualified buyers get 0.0% financing for 60 months. And you can get up to $3,000 cash back on a great stock of 2020 Camrys or Camry hybrids or qualified buyers get 0% financing for 60 months. Don't wait. Head over to Toyota-thon right now at Rudy Luther Toyota, the southeast corner of 394 and 169 in Golden Valley. Hi, this is Paul Metza inviting you to listen to a great new episode of the Wall of Power Radio Hour this weekend. We interview author Michael Tisserand from his home in New Orleans. He talks about when he walked across country protesting nuclear power in the 1980s, met Tiny Tim at the Ramada Inn in Ohio. We're going to listen to some Tiny Tim music from a cassette he sent to my friend Michael. We're going to talk Cajun music, New Orleans, Hurricane Katrina, and more Saturday at 6 p.m. on AM 950. While shopping for a fireplace insert at Woodland Stoves and Fireplaces, I was amazed at all the choices. Not just gas, electric, or wood-burning, but also built-in or freestanding, and options in every style from antique to modern. The staff really listened to us, explained the options, and helped us choose a fireplace we absolutely love. Now it warms our hearts and our home every winter. Thank you, Woodland Stoves, for a great addition. Hi, I'm Peter Solak, putting in a word for the EPA BurnWise campaign. It has important information about clean burn fireplaces. This is an important part of our mission at Woodland Stoves and Fireplaces. We know that the fireplace has to work. Work with your life, work with your living space, and also be environmentally smart. Come see us. Learn to burn wise. We have over 35 working units on display at the corner of Riverside and East Franklin Avenue in Minneapolis. Visit our store in person or online at woodlandstoves.com. Woodland Stoves and Fireplaces, out of the ordinary products and services since 1977. Welcome back, FYI Politics with Brett Johnson, Wednesday edition of the show. Got Sasha on the other side of the production glass. I just want to continue talking about something that we were touching on with Patrick in that last segment, and that's this little dispute we've seen between Ilhan Omar and Barack Obama, where you had Obama saying, well, 
defund the police was a poorly written slogan, and it was a reason why Democrats did not have as much success down ballot as they anticipated. Now, going back to the response that Ilhan Omar put out on Twitter, again, uh, just to paraphrase what she said, Her thing was that we lose people in the hands of police. It's not a slogan, but a policy demand. And centering the demand for equitable investments and budgets for communities across the country gets us progress and safety. So no matter what you say about it, it's still a slogan. Defund the police, no matter what Ilhan Omar is saying about it. And she has legitimate concerns, obviously, about with policing that we've uh, certainly been seeing around the country. But the problem, and this is a case where I do agree a little bit more with Obama, not so much in the sense that it ended up costing Democrats the election, but you got to come up with a better slogan. It's the same kind of thing I brought up with socialism when Bernie Sanders was running for president, where he's technically a democratic socialist, but that term scares people away. And I think that possibly could play a role with the idea of defund the police. So I don't think Obama and Omar are necessarily far apart when it comes to policy. It's more coming up with good slogans on this. And I just think if you have to spend a bunch of time defending and explaining what your slogan is, you've already lost the argument. So I'm not sure how you properly market that. But I do see a little bit where Barack Obama is coming from on this. And I think the important thing to point out is that a lot of these so-called moderate and so-called progressive Democrats, when it comes to the policy on policing and really all other aspects of politics, I don't think they're that far apart. It's more how they get there and how they market those ideas. And sometimes you do have progressive Democrats who are better at marketing ideas than moderate Democrats and vice versa. That's also true. Or sometimes you might have moderate Democrats being better at marketing ideas than progressive Democrats. But this idea and the term defund the police, even though I am very much in favor of the idea of defunding and reallocating funds for the police, if you have to sit there explaining it, I think you've already lost the argument. You're going to lose interest from people and you give your opposition an easy bumper slogan. So I'm not sure what the answer is for marketing it, but I think you got to do better than defund the police. So Sasha, chime in on this. You're, of course, a younger person who... I voted in last election, obviously, and terms like socialism and defund the police are (laughs) more popular with a younger generation than obviously older people. So what's your take on this idea of being someone who's from that younger generation? Now, I absolutely agree with what you had to say about kind of explaining difficult policies and, you know, short Mm -hmm. slogans. What I will say is I think boldness is pretty important right now. Um, So, you know, in 2016, I remember Bernie Sanders got on the stage for like the first couple times and he was shot down as some crazy socialist guy, you Mm -hmm. know, unrealistic ideas. Months later, you had Hillary Clinton adopting his entire platform. Right. You know, so the idea of boldness is pretty important here, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, when we, I think, you know, th- this is my personal opinion that I held. I think the whole approach that Biden took this campaign with trying to appease everyone is a losing strategy, just like from the get go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, that, and that's a larger issue. I think you're absolutely right on where if you try to be everything to everybody, you end up appealing to nobody. Exactly. And I think, well, he ended up winning because people hate Donald Trump so <laughs> exactly, much. Yeah. But you are on to something right there where <laughs> consistency is certainly a big part of it, too, is more so possibly even than just having the right slogan for whatever you're advocating. And one more thing. And one more thing I'll say just to touch back to mm-hmm. the defund the police issue this is a very new abstract idea that touches on a very legitimate and thorough concerns mm-hmm. of the way things are done, the way we uphold laws in this country. So, of course, when you would no matter, you could call it uh, "happy fun time with the police," and you know, like <laughs> it's still it's still gonna it's still gonna cause concern and right. issues. Um, but at least it started the conversation, you know. Now it's now Obama and Ilhan Omar mm-hmm. are discussing on a public forum what that would look like a little bit. And 
keep in mind, keep in mind that, I mean, what I've heard a lot are, are slogans like abolish the police, you know? So mm-hmm. defunding it is, is pretty, is pretty descriptive and finds that middle ground where we start to talk about how do we fund correct community protection. Yeah, that is a good point because originally it was abolish the police and not defund the police. And supposedly, yeah, defund the police was supposed to take some of the teeth away from that other argument of abolish the police. I don't know. Ultimately, just Republicans are better at coming up with slogans and selling ideas than Democrats. We need some kind of like Frank Lutz on the Democratic (laughs) side. If you remember, he's the guy that took global warming to being climate change. He's also the guy that came up with the idea of having death panels when it came to health care reform. They're very good at coming up with bumper slogans. And I don't know. I just think that's an underrated aspect of politics because a large portion of the electorate, I would even say the majority of the electorate, they're not that in tune to politics. That doesn't mean they're dumb or stupid or anything. That just means you're generally talking about working professionals or working people who just don't follow politics all that closely. They'll maybe read a couple things online, see what's happening on their local newscast, and that will inform them of their political views, and they won't take the time necessarily to realize what defund the police actually is and how there are a lot of very positive aspects in terms of how that would work. So, yeah, it's a big, big challenge for Democrats, and just Republicans have always been better at sloganing, eh, sloganing if that's a word, and messaging. So Dems got to figure that out somehow. I don't know necessarily what the solution is. I would I would think just a little bit more boldness and a little mm-hmm. bit more like you said development of the idea uh will event will result in a more motivated voting base instead of going back and forth on you know like moot points like kind of like picking at moot points of like what what should we call this yeah. <laughs> you know yeah yeah And like I said, if you start having to do that, going through that debate, what do you call something or explaining what you're talking about or explaining your policy position in great detail, uh, you've probably lost the argument and have lost a lot of people on that. 952-946-6205-952-946-6205. And continuing on that theme, this sort of divide we have between people who are on the more progressive side of the Democratic Party and those who are on... The more moderate side, we're seeing that play out in some of the selections that President-elect Joe Biden might be making for his potential cabinet. And there's a couple that progressives have been very angry about. One is Rahm Emanuel. I don't know how his name keeps popping up in politics. Seems like Rahm Emanuel's been around since like the 80s or 90s. But apparently Biden would like to appoint him to be the Secretary of Transportation. And then the other person that progressives not happy about is Neera Tandon. She is with the Center for American Progress, and she would become the White House budget director, where you have progressives who are unhappy about both of those selections. Rahm Emanuel, for obvious reasons, being that when he was the mayor of Chicago, he implemented uh, many controversial policies and was accused of covering up the murder of Laquan McDonald to win re-election back during the 2010s. Neera Tandon, also not very popular with progressives, working for the very centrist Center for American Progress. So I think about this a little bit differently right here. If we have, obviously, Tandon and Rahm Emanuel would not be my first choices to be in Joe Biden's cabinet. But think about it this way. If we're going to put people that have similar ideological views as Joe Biden in the cabinet, why not give them positions that really don't have a whole lot of influence on public policy? For instance, let's take Rahm Emanuel as the transportation secretary. Like I said, not my first choice. There are plenty of negative things about him. But how much policy influence is he really going to have as the secretary of transportation? I would rather have him there than being something like chief of staff where he might have more policy input. I kind of view the same thing with Neera Tandem as being the White House budget director. Again, not my first choice, but if you're at least putting some of these people in positions that are, I think importantly, only temporary, generally people don't stay on as budget directors or commissioners or 
secretaries of whatever department for more than four years, and generally after that, their career is pretty much over. So if you're not happy about these selections, I'll think about it in this aspect too. How much influence, for instance, is Rahm Emanuel really going to have on policy as the Secretary of Transportation? So just something to think about as we're looking through in some of these potential appointments in the Joe Biden cabinet. Now, the one I would be more concerned about is who Joe Biden appoints as the chair of the FCC. The current chair is Trump appointee Ajit Pai, who is very much against net neutrality. His term is obviously going to expire on January 20th when when Donald Trump leaves office. And that's one I would keep more of an eye on in terms of who Joe Biden can appoint to that position, someone who can Fortunately, or I hopefully will be able to put net neutrality back in place. That's a position to me that has much more influence than, let's say, the Secretary of Transportation. I would be focused much more on who he would be putting as that FCC chair, since Ajit Pai has certainly done a lot of damage as the chair of the FCC since he was appointed by Trump back in 2017. Hey, let's go to the phone calls. Talk to Jim in St. Cloud wants to talk through slogans. Hey there, Jim. Hi, Brett. Um, I think it goes a lot uh, beyond having simple talking points or the Republicans having better talking points. Um, they have like 1,500 radio stations. They have a TV network. They have um, the Country Western stations, the uh, religious stations. They all have right-wing propaganda on them. And I'm liberal, but I have some very conservative friends on Facebook, and they have a lot of arguments that are completely not based on reality but in their world they think it's reality and it seems like liberals and the left just have do not understand that we need oh i think i lost you there jim looks like your phone might be cutting out so call back another time but you bring up something that i think oh i experienced firsthand when i worked small town radio yeah generally when you go to very rural areas the only type of radio or media that you have access to is generally very right-leaning. We're an incredibly rare station being a progressive talk radio station. In fact, I can probably count on two hands the number of progressive talk radio stations that exist in the entire country. So that certainly plays part of that. And just to expand on what Jim was saying, I think it also goes to, like, let's say your local newspaper or your local TV newscasts, when oftentimes they just pretty much print or say what the Republican talking points are without really challenging them. So I think that plays a big role as well. In addition to the fact, as Jim correctly pointed out, when you go to a lot of rural areas, the only media you can consume is very right-leaning. Hey, let's continue with the phone calls. We got Mark in Fridley. Hey, Mark. Hey, Brett. How you doing? Hey, doing good here. Good to talk to you again. So what are you thinking good. about this well, idea of defunding the police and the sloganing around this with Obama and Omar going through their dispute? Okay, everything is everything is political, and everything is optics, narrative, uh, the visual. And what I told you, if you remember, I said that that slogan was going to be bad for the party. Uh, what the, the slogan should have been police the police. Um, because defund the police gave uh, an insinuation that they were looking to eliminate the police instead of um, um, hmm. you know making uh, the necessary adjustments to living in a police state. But um, police the police would have been much more marketable. There you go. But um, what uh, and they should have seen that coming. These this is their business. And so, if you remember me saying that, but what I, I need, we need to police Steve Simon. We need to police uh, Keith Ellison, because what you just talked about in the previous, with the previous guest, was when are we going to look into the election fraud that happened here with the Republican Party? And uh, what I'm talking about is that you get the sudden transition of two Democrats that got elected uh, that suddenly converted, you know, Senator Bach or Senator mm -hmm. Benedict and Senator Arnold, that both converted to independence and managed somehow to also coincidentally get chairmanship positions. Um, you know, obviously there was some type of quid pro quo, and those two senator candidates, as they ran, should have 
allowed their constituency to know that they were going to be converting to an independent. The second was the case brought up by the Star Tribune of the Republican Party basically recruiting and paying for candidates to run against Democrats in the marijuana party. Um, And again, I mean, this information is public knowledge, public record, and this was election fraud. These, These are cases that should be investigated by the Attorney General and by the Secretary of State um, because this is just as as significant. If if you were coordinating or involved in a conspiracy or racketeering to promote a candidate that you was not affiliated to your party for the main purpose of drawing votes away from a Democratic opposition candidate, th- those are crimes. Mm-hmm. And and you know we cannot again deterrence to criminal activity is a hell of a lot cheaper than reacting to it after after you know these these crimes occur and this is such a problem with democrats and i'm talking both at the national state or really any level where they generally want to say well it really wouldn't be very politically beneficial to us to go back and investigate what happened in prior years it's just going to rile people up let's let bygones be bygones and i think you're absolutely right i mean why didn't thomasoni or tom bach the two dflers who switched to independence why didn't they just campaign and say you know what We're going to caucus with whichever party gets the majority. At least they're being transparent with that. Or as you're talking about with these legalized cannabis parties, yeah, there should certainly be an investigation with that. And you know it would certainly happen if, let's say, we had the DFL trying to prop up Libertarian Party candidates. But as I think you're alluding to, oftentimes Democrats are too scared to conduct investigations and, well, as you said, police the police, so to speak. Well, the the problem is is that crime expands to our willingness to tolerate it. Mm. And we should not have faith in our election process. We should not have faith, faith in our voting process. These elections have been rigged and manipulated since 2000. That's on the, that's on the uh, record. Uh, both, you know, there never should have been two W. Bush uh, tenures of, of president. There was voter fraud there, there was election fraud, and we're still using these horrible, horrific privately funded electronic computer voting machines. And again, you, you have to look at the Attorney General. And, and what I made the recommendation was is that the American people should vote for the Attorney General of the United States. Because the Attorney General cannot be the defense attorney for the frickin' president, whether it's William Barr. And, and again, William Barr turned down Bush three times, or turned down Trump three times after Sessions got kicked out. And the only reason Barr took the, and it, you have to look back to Barr, Barr's history, he, he's basically called the cover-up general, because he covered up Iran-Contra for Reagan and H.W. Bush. He covered up the, the Bank of Credit Commerce International. He covered up so many things, and, and that, that's basically his job. And, you know, a guy like Rahm Emanuel, you know, it, one and done, in and out. You know, you hangers on, you professional politicians that are benefiting, you know, from being an inside operative. You know, those types of things have to stop. But we can't have an attorney general who acts as a defense attorney for the president. He is supposed to represent the interest of the American people and the Constitution. And so what good are laws if they're not enforced? It, and the deterrence factor, who's going to you know, prevent this from happening again? It's like the Securities Exchange Commission catching people you know, and, and, and finding what, what, you know, what pe- the media hasn't covered is that we just arrested a month ago, the Department of Justice under, under William Barr arrested the former Secretary of Defense of the Mexican military. His name is Cienfuegos. Arrested him in, in, in uh, California about a month ago, and charged him with money laundering, drug trafficking, and uh, racketeering and conspiracy. About a week and a half later, they released him. (laughs) And the media completely ignored that story and covered up that story. And, you know, again, you know, William Barr's connection to the law firm that represented Jeff Epstein. You know, those are the things, if we continue to ignore these massive crimes, systemic crimes, political crimes that are taking place, and one of the fixes we need to is, is you know, Eric Holder described himself 
publicly as Obama's wingman. That's not your job. Nope. Your job is to pr- protect the interest of the American people and protect and preserve the Constitution and the laws. And so um, I, people need to call Keith Ellison's office. They need to call Steve Simon and say, listen, read the Star Tribune. Here's the article. Why haven't you already called for an investigation at a minimum? There, there needs to be indictments based on the uh, information and evidence that's currently available. But these were crimes. And if the Democratic response is that, well, we don't want to do it because, you know, we'll look at, you know. No, that's your job. Your job is to enforce the law and to protect us not protect your party, not protect the establishment, and not protect your cronies. All right, appreciate the phone call, Mark. And that to tie that back to even what Sasha was saying, that's just the idea of being bold. If you go through and say, hey, we're going to investigate what happened, at least you're bold and being consistent and are coming across as being authentic. That really turns people off when you say, well, yeah, we got to let bygones be bygones. It just wouldn't be politically expedient to conduct these investigations of fraud that took place in the past. So yeah, just tying that back to even Sasha, what you were saying, I think that's absolutely true, even in that respect. And one more thing Mark was saying in regards to like Rami Emanuel and some of these other guys who are just kind of revolving door members of Democratic president's cabinets. I would take that even a step further than just saying they can only serve one term term or under one president. I think what would go a long way, not all the way, obviously, but would really help towards while creating a better political climate would be dealing with what's happening in terms of leadership in both the House and the Senate. And I'm not just talking about the national level. I'm talking about any state legislature in any state. I could go on and on about this. Maybe I'll do this on a future show. But I think that's the problem right there is when you basically have leadership in congressional chambers that's been there for years and years. You have a succession system lined up where you pretty much know who the next speaker is going to be. In fact, even if we take the U.S. House, for example, I can tell you already who the next two speakers of the House are going to be beyond Nancy Pelosi. I don't know the order, but I can tell you who the next two speakers are going to be. It'll be Kevin McCarthy, and Hakeem Jeffries. Oh, I might be butchering that last name. It's the uh, Democratic representative from New York. But there's such a seniority system when it comes to party leadership in legislative chambers. That's, I think, a big, big problem where you essentially have members of legislative chambers who are a lot more powerful than others. All right, I got to take a break. I am super late right now heading into this last break. Uh, We'll come on back for one final segment of FYI Politics with Brett Johnson. Hi, it's Tom. Solar power is more important than ever as a long-term investment for yourself and your community. And that's why I trust All Energy Solar to provide a cost-effective, environmentally friendly energy system. But several key incentives that make solar available will be sunsetting in 2021. So now is the time to get your solar project on the books. All Energy Solar can walk you through the process using their zero-contact virtual evaluation process. Financing options are available to those who qualify. So go green and start saving at allenergysolar.com today. These days, our home is the center of our world. This is Gregory Rich, founder of Habitation Furnishing and Design and host of Drink in the Style right here on AM 950. If we're all going to be spending a lot more time at home, doesn't it make sense to make your space the most attractive and most functional space it can be? At Habitation, my experienced, degreed interior design staff can help you select the perfect furnishings for your home and your lifestyle. Furniture is more than one size fits all, and there's more to making a room work than a couple of chairs and a sofa. Whether it's a modular sectional carefully selected to maximize your living room, or the perfect bed, dresser, and nightstand combination to create your dream bedroom, Habitation can help you achieve the space you've always wanted. So check us out online at HabitationDesign.com or schedule an appointment at our Adina showroom. Habitation Furnishing and Design. Make your home exceptional. Nightingale at 26th and Lindale is open for takeout and delivery. Their delicious dinner menu is available until 10 p.m. daily. Offerings include the famous Nightingale burger and fries, ginger tamari chicken wings, chocolate pot de creme, and more. So support the locally owned Nightingale with an order tonight. Takeout or delivery orders can be made at nightingalempls.com or by calling 612 354 7060.
Auto Technical helps families in need of transportation with reconditioned vehicles. Here's Richard with Auto Technical. I'll tell you, my wife told me when we first started, she says, you're going to find this so rewarding. But when people come in and, oh man, give me a second. Take your time. And you just find out how important transportation is. People sometimes break down in tears and can't stop. Learn more at autotechnical.org. The number one source of the Twin Cities Gay Scene is all digital. Follow Twin Cities Gay Scene on Facebook and Twitter. Sign up for the Scene Shot email blast for weekly updates and chances to win great prizes. No app is needed to view the bi-weekly web editions of Scene. It's GLBTQ Media for the mobile generation. Find it all at TwinCitiesGayScene.com. That's TwinCitiesGayScene.com. And we're back for the final segment of FYI Politics with Brett Johnson. Yeah, as much as we sometimes go after Democrats for lacking a backbone, at least we're not the Republican Party of Minnesota who is struggling with statewide elections. Latest rumor is that former Minnesota Vikings offensive lineman Matt Burke might be interested for running for governor in 2022. Not good when your top two candidates for governor as a political party in 2022 might be a former Minnesota Vikings player and the MyPillow guy. Also want to bring up, don't forget, Pilot's Progressive Party comes your way tonight at 5 o'clock. Join Robert and Wendy Pilot as they'll be talking with uh, lots of people involved in the progressive community. I'm sure they'll have lots more to say on what's been happening with Line 3. So don't miss that tonight at 5 o'clock, Pilot's Progressive Party. And then, if you can make a donation to us here at AM950, either a one-time $50 donation or signing up for a $25 continuing membership, you get a free calendar from AM950. You get some really great photos that Matt McNeil has been taking on his nature hikes around town, but more importantly, not more importantly necessarily, but you get some really cool dates on these calendars in progressive and AM950 history. So learn more about that on our membership page, am950radio.com. All right, Matt McNeil's up next. <laughs> 